Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today is a special day in our church. It's our annual Biker Sunday, where we welcome bikers from all over the UP to join us for worship with a special time of prayer and fellowship after the service. Today we're going to be studying the gemstone of faith and seeking to reorient our understanding of it along the teachings from God's Word. Thanks for listening. We're in a series that I've entitled Gemstones of the Faith. And this, the scope of our study is to examine some of the words that we're very familiar with in church. Christians have these words that we use many times. Words like peace and hope and grace. And uh, this morning we're going to look at the gemstone, which is the foundation of our, our church, what Jesus came to show and declare to us, which is called faith. Uh, this past week, I took my family to uh, Niagara Falls, and I remember going there as a child and uh, experiencing just the, the untamed, raw power of nature. I mean, it, it's incredible. And uh, if you've ever been there, maybe show of hands, folks that have been over there, whether on the U.S. side or the Canadian side. Uh, but they have this uh, great uh, stone wall barrier with these big railings that you can hold on to. And this particular location right here is probably the scariest of all because you're right where you can see the water just falling and you can't see where it goes. But that water is rushing, rushing, rushing. And so we, uh, we took out the camera and, and tried to take a picture there and... Um, even as my wife and I were uh, just uh, amazed and just taking in all of uh, God's power d- displayed here on nature, um, our children were hanging over the railing, <laughs> seeing if they could touch the water. And uh, it, 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 at one point, it looked like Sadie's feet came off. And there's signs that say you shouldn't do this, but they were doing it anyways. And uh, my heart almost skipped a beat because she was like, we were right at that spot and it looked like she could tumble in. Now, I, I'm sure we were being overprotective, but I'd rather be overprotective than end up on the news, right? Because <laughs> the kid went over the falls. Um, and as I was taking pictures, I turned right after that moment and I took a picture of Emily. And this picture is, if you can look at her smile, that's not a mom enjoying her time. <laughs> That's a, that's a nervous smile, and if you look very closely, you'll see what she's doing right there. <laughs> Trying to hold on to our kids. Uh, it's a little scary in this world. And, and this is just one example of so many ways in which we feel that we're not in control of this life. So many things face us that are a challenge for us, and that you and I, we just don't have control over them even though sometimes we think we do god ultimately does and this kind of idolatry in the life of honestly it plagues america really badly because we're 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 a people who want what we want and and to feel capable and we just live in affluence uh, that you don't come to god by virtue of your capability Instead, you come to God not by what you do, not by what we can control, not by what we can produce. Rather, we come to God by faith. And faith is this way of almost letting go and trusting. Now, I don't recommend you do that with the kids at Niagara Falls. You hold, you hold on to them. But everywhere else in our life, when it comes to what we face and how to live to please God, we need to make sure that we are giving Him the control. 
and not wanting to hold on to it for ourselves. Because sometimes the, the railing, whatever that metaphor is for us in life, uh, is the only thing that we feel that we can hold on to when we're facing the chasm of the unknown. But I got good news for you today. You don't know, but He knows. God knows what you face in the darkness. God knows what you face in the future and, and what the untold anxieties and the worries of this world, what they plague us with and that we don't have control he does. And this is a large component of what it means to have faith. Uh, there, there's a passage in uh, God's Word that is just kind of, kind of the triumphal uh, main, just saturated with faith. And it's in the book of Hebrews. Uh, I'd like to ask you if you have your Bibles to turn there with me. Uh, and we're, what we're going to do is we're going to read through this passage in Hebrews 11. Uh, but before we do, in order to set the stage as you're turning there... Uh, I want to make sure that we recognize the contrast between how the world operates by faith and how Christians need to operate by faith. Th this is a big part of this study, right? Because you've heard the word grace, right? We studied that last week. And you've heard the word faith before, but we kind of hear it in the context of our culture. We almost need to be uh, reoriented in how we define these words. And so as I gave some thought over to this word of faith... I put down some categories here. I, I feel like in our world today, faith is something that's disposable. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. Faith is a luxury. I don't have the luxury of your faith, right? Because you might hear that in the business world where people need to you know, rely on data, right? They need to rely on metrics and uh, all of the uh, poll taking that's done. So I don't have the luxury of faith. Or, or maybe uh, feasibility. Um, again, in the business world, maybe you've heard this phrase. Show me the money, right? Oh, you, you want something, a, a guarantee without, without down payment, right? You need to put a deposit down. So, yeah, we'll show up, but I'm not going to go off faith. Instead, uh, you know, show me the money, right? And then uh, maybe we'll make a deal. Or tangibility. How about this one? I'll believe it when I... Yeah, we've heard that one before. Like, uh, sounds, sounds too good to be true, right? I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, right? They'll never change or no one could ever uh, meet that standard. I'll believe it when I see it because it's not tangible otherwise. Or maybe just a, uh, that which is justifiable. Um, seeing is believing, right? I, I only believe because I've seen it. And because I saw it, that makes it true, regardless of whether it's true or not. Because in our world today, that's how faith gets defined. Which is not faith. Or how about preference? You've heard this one. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? Uh, what, why wait for the, what comes better? You know, you've got a bird in the hand already. That, that's preferable. I'd rather have it now than trust and wait by faith. Or how about what's fashionable? Uh, get it while you can. Get it while the getting's good. Right? I'm sure you've heard that one before. It was a free tax day in Wisconsin. Yesterday, I don't know about Michigan, but um, uh, it's better go now, right? Because you got to get it while you can. There's no sense in waiting or trusting or expressing any sense of faith in our world because this is how the world operates. You need to get it while you can. Or maybe that which is objectionable. Uh, have you heard this? Anyone ever tell you that before? Yeah, prove it. That's got to be the utter opposite, antithesis of faith. Right? Ah, prove it. Uh, how about that which is measurable? Uh, this is one I've heard, I know you've heard before. Trust is earned. Trust is earned. There, there's, you know, there's some wisdom in all of these. There, there's a reason why our world uses these phrases 
uh, to communicate kind of an opposite of faith. So I don't want you to just throw these out wholesale, but I want you to see how just co-opting these ideas when it comes to faith is going to pollute your understanding of what faith is. Because the Bible does not speak of faith in these terms. Um, what, what if God said to you, uh, yeah, you, need to, you really need to earn my trust. What if, what if that's God said to you? How, how many of us here would make it? Right, if that's how uh, it worked. But in our world today, filled with sinners, this is what we learn. This is what faith looks like. Or maybe this last one, the impossible. I'll believe it when pigs... <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no way it'll ever happen. I don't, I, I just, I don't have faith for it. Now, now let, let me reorient this so that you see how God's Word speaks to these same topics. For disposability, the Word of God, here's what it says about faith. It's impossible to please God... Without faith. So if faith is a luxury, you'll never please God. Because it's a requirement to please God. You cannot come to God without faith. This is not optional in our lives. And when it comes to feasibility, uh, faith doesn't come from us. So good luck if it's up to you. Because uh, we read in God's word that faith is a gift. It comes from God. And we, we, uh, we don't produce it on our own. We receive it from him. And then we live in it. We walk in it. We express our worship to him in it. As far as tangibility, um, as far as that goes, faith is being certain of what is not seen. So if you're going to wait for tangibility, you're never going to express faith. I believe it when I see it. You, you ain't never going to see it. Because when the Bible speaks about faith, it's being certain about we, what we do not see. Now, you, you and I have been told this. It's been revealed to us in God's word. But as we, as we see this morning, as we get through Hebrews 11, that one's going to make more sense. Or this one, maybe faith is being sure of what we hope for. So it's not believing or seeing is believing. We hope for that which we do not see. Uh, Do you see Jesus physically here this morning? Uh, If you were really sharp students, you might be able to metaphorically answer that by saying, I see Jesus in one another, in each other, because the body of Christ, when it comes together, is the manifestation of Jesus. Not the person of the Trinity, but his spirit and his work and his function on earth expressed through one another. But Jesus right now is waiting to return. Seated at the right hand of the Father. And so if you don't see him, what, what good is faith? If you, if you, i got to see it to believe it, man. i got to see it. If I don't see it, I'm never going to believe it. Look, we hope for it. We look for his return, and it is promised. So faith is not blind, but faith rests upon something that we don't see, that we have to hope for. Uh, here's, here's a tough one, right? When it comes to preferability. Look, I'd rather have it now. Um, when it really comes to faith, faith is refined through suffering, the Bible teaches. Uh, routinely, the Bible will say, rejoice in your sufferings. Doesn't that seem crazy? I, I rejoice on payday. I don't rejoice in suffering day, right? But the Bible says, you need to rejoice when you suffer because suffering refines your faith. That's the purpose of suffering. So you might never get a bird in the hand. For, for, for you, whatever, whatever the success, whatever the blessing, whatever it is, the false teachers on TV want to say God is going to promise to bless you with, you may never have. But your faith will be grown because God works through 
suffering in our lives. You may not get what is preferable. How about this one? Uh, Commended for their faith, uh, but they did not receive it. Uh, We're going to study that. Uh, That's kind of a key point this morning. But so many people, uh, throughout God's word, they lived after the promise, but they didn't get it. And yet they were commended for their faith. And yet they didn't receive it. far as being objectionable, when it says prove it, uh, righteousness comes only by faith. You can't prove your righteousness apart from faith. Whatever righteousness you have is endowed upon you by the blood of Christ through faith. So if you and I are left here to prove it on our own, you and I are done. We're done. Are are you seeing this? I know this is a little bit technical. but my, My point in showing this to you is to try to recognize the way in which there is a divergence of this correct understanding of faith between what the world says... And what God's word says. Are we we kind of seeing it? Give me some feedback. Amen this morning. How are we doing? All right. All right. We'll keep going here. Uh, As far as trust being earned. uh, It's not earned. We are saved by grace, grace through faith. It is not of works. So it can't be earned. It's measured only by a gift. And that was our, uh, our really our study on grace last week. And finally, when it comes to impossibility, um, you might remember uh, poor Thomas. What was his nickname? Doubting. Doubting. I asked somebody, uh, I think it was my wife, we were going through nicknames in the Bible. I said, what was Thomas's nickname? She said, the doubter. I, only at the end they called him that. They didn't call him that like every time they saw him. Hey, doubter, Thomas, right? Poor guy. <laughs> you remember the story, right? The disciples, they've all witnessed Jesus. They say to Thomas, he's alive. And Thomas says, I'll believe it when I... Yeah, uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe it. Let me put my hands there and see it with my own eyes. And then I'll believe And Jesus comes and shows up and says, check it out, man. It's me. Put your hand here. But then he says these words. He says, you, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. I believe it when pigs fly. Right? Well, I do one better. There was a dead man that came back to life because of his righteousness. That happened. And so we believe that, again, not by sight, but we believe that by faith. Uh, If you needed some um, justification on all these, I got verses to back them all up. I couldn't fit the last one on here. John 20 is the passage where that comes from. But um, do you see the difference? Do you see why we need to study this? We need to recapture the gemstone of faith because it belongs to the church. And you and I are going to misunderstand what it means to walk in faith in this world if we're following after the teaching of the world. I'm getting. A, I got to be careful here. I don't want to get too far off track because this sermon will go two hours long, and I know we got to ride. So, all right. So we're not going to go that way. But um, l- let me just say, come to Bible study maybe on Wednesday, and let's keep talking about this because unfortunately, I probably need to spend an extended amount of time not just correcting faith as seen by the world, but correcting faith as is falsely taught by some of these teachers on television. Uh, people who declare that, look, God wants to bless you. And if you're not blessed, if you're not healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. And, and you need to sow a seed in order to get faith. And, and nothing could be more offensive to the true definition of what faith means from God's word. Y'all get where I want to go with that, right? So that's going to have to be saved for another day. Uh, we're going to read through Hebrews 11. Everybody with me there? Page 1874 in the Pew Bibles. All right, I'm going to start at the beginning. Verse 1. Now faith is being sure what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen and holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city whose foundations and whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, wasn't able to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands in the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been looking for the country they'd left, they'd have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He Persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land 
But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she had welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. How are we doing, church? I haven't lost you yet, right? So this is the same place in the text where the writer would say, how you, how you doing? Because <laughs> he could continue for pages and pages and pages. So take a deep breath. Ready? Let's keep going. Verse 32. <laughs> and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some feared jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. Now, I'm going to peek ahead to chapter 12. Just three verses. Look with me because it was too good to stop. So here we go. Ready? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All right, there, there is a lot in this passage, and uh, I've... Honestly, I should probably go back and we could do a whole series just on Hebrews 11 and take it in pieces and bite-sized chunks. But that's not what I'm trying to do this morning. I'm trying to reorient how we understand faith. And so what I'd like to do is just pick out some of the, the main themes that the writer decides to outline by each of these characters in the Old Testament. Now, the first thing about faith is that biblical faith looks costly. It looks costly. Uh, here, here's a passage that Paul is going to outline uh, in uh, the book of Philippians. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. It, it cost Paul everything, he said, for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. What did it cost Paul? Shout it out. What did it cost him? Everything. Everything. Faith is costly. But look what he says. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. When we look to faith, 
Biblical faith is, number one, it is costly. Uh, Look again in in the book of Hebrews. Um, Right at the beginning, you'll see Abel offered a better sacrifice. And what did his brother Cain think of that? Yeah, so, so Abel's faith cost him his life. Abel's faith was the kind that actually cost him something in sacrificing to God. To give to him, not something that didn't cost me anything, but something that was dear and important. Uh, you, you know what? There, there was another guy that was mentioned, Abraham. Well, what, what did Abraham, by virtue of his faith, um, risk losing? That's a big one, isn't it? That's a big one for, for any, any of you that can think to your children. I would not give up my child for any one of you. That's <laughs> just being honest now. I, I, I'm not God. My <laughs> selfish sinner is what I am. Um, but God did that. God gave his only son for you. And, and, and God did that in, in a form in the Old Testament to prefigure what he would do in Christ through Abraham's faith. Faith was going to cost Abraham everything. His only son. This, just this old dude in life that had a bunch of sheep. Had a promise from God of people and a nation that wasn't coming until he was born. I mean, e- even Abraham and Sarah tried to fix the situation with the maidservant, Hagar. And, and it didn't work right. Abraham would have to give up everything for his faith. What, what's your faith cost you? What does my faith cost me? Because if it's not costing us something, may I submit to you this morning, we might be doing it wrong? Because the first example for what faith looks like in these stories is, is something that is costly. Uh, jump ahead to verse 24. We got Moses mentioned here, right? Watch this. Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let's just put that in context. That's Ivanka Trump, right? That's... Put it in context. Now, how, how bad do you think that family has it for being well off? <laughs> Going hungry, right? Uh, I mean, apart from living in the beautiful freedom of America, they're under the scorn of American people sometimes, but they're not in need of anything else. M- Moses could have lived like that. Moses could have lived in the White House. He could have had anything he wanted, but look what the text says, verse 25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. There's a really cool verse here in verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. How cool is that? Because here the writer of Hebrews is saying Moses choosing to live with God's people did so for Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ doesn't show up until millennia later. And yet Moses is already knowing that this one who is going to come is the one that I'm willing to give up all things. Because biblical faith, number one, it's costly. Number two, it's risky. Faith is risky. Uh, Sadie doesn't like heights, my four-year-old. She does not like heights. Um, But it's very hard to carry like a sack of potatoes like this all the time, right? Come on, moms, you know what I'm talking about, carrying your kids like this. So what I do is I put her on my shoulders, right? That's a lot easier. I can walk straight up, get all my spine in line. But then she's, she's up there, you know, and it's just kind of like choking me the whole time because she's afraid because she doesn't like heights. But she's kind of grown used to it after these years now. Because she trusts who? 
She trusts me. But at the beginning, what was that for her? That, that was fear. That, that was scary. That, that was risky, right? But now her faith has been grown. She now knows she can trust me. Uh, we were going up some very tall stairs and even walking by Niagara Falls with those cliffs there. And she does fine now. And she knows I can carry her. Her faith has moved beyond that point, but it started by embracing risk, not rejecting it. I'm going to do that because it's too risky. Uh, I want you to look at some of these passages for some of these individuals. How about start with Moses's parents, verse 23. Look at them. <clears throat> by faith, Moses's parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Uh, what, what would happen? You remember what Pharaoh said? He said, look, kill all the male children under two. Kill them. And you know something? If you're keeping one alive, we're going to kill you. Does that sound risky to anybody? Does that sound like to, to follow after what God is going to ask might uh, be a little scary? Uh, how about verse 29? Uh, jump ahead to that. The Israelites following Moses passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. Let's just imagine that for a minute. Okay. You got the Red Sea, you got a wall of water on either side, and this old dude with a stick says, let's go! <laughs> That's okay, I'll get a boat, right? Um, but yet God's command was, you walk through this in obedience. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine getting to the halfway point where you couldn't really see the shore over there, you couldn't really see it, but you could just hear the thunderous water on either side, knowing that any instant you could be destroyed? Who thinks that's a safe journey? Who thinks that's a nice little stroll? I, do you ever see those power walkers on TV? I, I would imagine that, you know, that's how I'd be going through there as fast as I could. Look, to walk, to go through, takes faith. That's what God's Word said, verse 29. By faith, they walked through the Red Sea. That was very risky. That wasn't going to be an, an easy day. That was an easy command to follow after or jump down a little bit further. Verse 31. I love this one. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. She, she's, a, she's a traitor to her own people, but she's obedient to God. Who thinks that was an easy decision? She's putting it all on the line. And, and she already is not in a pro profession where she can, like, unionize or something like that. You know, I mean, she's already in a, in a difficult position. And yet she puts it all on the line. She risks it all for obedience. That's what faith looks like. Faith is costly. Faith is risky. Thirdly, uh, faith is belief or believing in the context of discomfort. It's believing in the context of being uncomfortable. Uh, you got three examples lifted one, one after another in verse 20, 21, and 22. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, all three declare the promise of God by faith. All three wrestling through what it looks like to see the fulfillment of God's promise. Not comfortable. Not, not taking it easy, but yet believing that that which is promised will come to pass. I ran a 5K uh, a, a while back with my son. Anybody else like to run? Shame on everybody. <laughs> That's okay. 5Ks are the kind where once you get started, uh, discomfort becomes a reality in the 40-year-old's life. And I'm not even 40, but it was, dis it was discomfort. And yet, I knew that if I kept going, there was a promise at the end, which was it was going to end. That was the promise. <laughs> And so I believed that, right? I believed and so I kept 
running. I, I stayed true to what I believed was going to, they weren't going to make me run another 5K, right? It was going to end. And, and listen, that's a bit of a picture for what the Christian life looks like. Because you're going to have moments, both like Moses, maybe to choose to follow God or follow the ways of this world. Following the world might be easier. Following after God might mean discomfort. Faith looks like continuing to believe even in the context of discomfort. Uh, we, we have a lot of other examples for this. Uh, the only one I want to show you before we get to the next one is Abraham again. Look with me in verse 8. Uh, By faith, Abraham called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance. He obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Verse 9. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a... What's it say? Like a stranger. Like a foreigner. Uh, for us to go... Um, to Niagara Falls, we traveled through uh, Canada, and um, I, I don't know how to pump my gas in liters or how many kilometers it is while we're on holiday. I, I, I'm just not, I'm not framed that way, so it wasn't super comfortable. I was, just, I was a stranger, right? Um, other people, more comfortable. This is where they lived. I imagine if they were to come to the UP, I would have the upper hand, right? Because this is my territory. I know how it works, but... Abraham, he lived as a stranger. The place wasn't his home. You've got to let that sink in for a minute. This is going to be a major theme as we uh, continue on here because uh, this is not your home. The promise given to Abraham was that this land would be yours. And the promise from Jesus is that the meek will inherit the earth. Right? So you've got a promise there as well. You and I live on an earth, but... It's not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I, when I was in Canada, felt a little uncomfortable. We ought not feel so comfortable in this world if it's not our home. Now, if you don't belong to Jesus Christ, well, this, you know, this is your home. I mean, this is it for you. So you get as much as you can, as quick as you can, because this is as close to heaven as you will ever be if you don't know Jesus Christ. This is it. This is as close as you get to heaven. But if you do know Jesus Christ, then this is as close to hell as we ever get in this world. And so we are called to live here as those who are promised an inheritance, but it's not yet. We're to live as strangers and as aliens, uh, beliefs in, in discomfort. There's a really, really awesome passage in 2 Corinthians I want to show you. Listen to what Paul says. He says, and he's speaking to the church. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, like a 5K, right? Endurance, uh, persevering. In troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots. In hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness. In the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, and truthful speech, and in the power of God. With weapons of righteousness in the right hand, and in the left hand. Through the glory and dishonor. Bad report. And good report. Genuine, yet regarded as imposters. Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. That's cool, right? You, you, you gotta go with me. That's pretty awesome. That's the sign-up sheet to be a Christian. 
you got to get this. That's not comfortable. Your, your faith, and anybody who's feeding you this idea that faith is going to make life easy, they have missed it. You've missed this point. Because you can't live in this world and live with Jesus Christ. They're opposed to one another. Mutually exclusive. And so thirdly, uh, biblical faith, it's belief in discomfort. Sound like a depressing sermon yet, you guys? Uh, uh, hang on here. It's, I'm, being, I'm shooting straight with you. We've got to get this. Next, it means obedience. Biblical faith means obedience. Uh, you, you, I probably don't need to preach this too much. You all understand this. Paul routinely will say, Obey not only as you did in my presence, but even more so now in my absence. Because faith follows in obedience even when nobody is what? Wow. Even when no one's watching. That's what faith looks like. Right? So it's being obedient. We see that uh, here. Abraham, uh, he obeyed and he went. Um, you can find that throughout the rest of the stories of the Old Testament. Lastly, is this: it means being courageous in the face of fear. Courage in the face of fear. Uh, one, one passage I want to show you out of Matthew. Jesus is in a boat, right? His disciples, suddenly a furious storm comes upon the lake. So the waves swept over the boat. And Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went to him and woke him and said, Lord, save us. We are going to... Is that the way they said it? No. No. You, you all get it, right? Uh, because what did they have? Faith or fear? fear. They had fear. And uh, Jesus replies, Oh, you of little... Faith. Yeah. Because they didn't have faith. What, what did they lack? They lacked courage in the face of fear. It wasn't until after the resurrection. It wasn't until after they saw Jesus raised from the dead. Every one of those disciples was killed for their faith. Because you couldn't stop them. Where, where the world and where the evil one would want to stop them by fear. This is the good news, church. You don't have to fear anymore. The writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 will say that Jesus became like you in every way. So that he might become a faithful high priest having destroyed him who has held you in slavery of the fear of death. You don't have to fear death. But what else is there to fear, really? Jesus has conquered death. And so you can be, you can be a missionary. You can go and you can serve anywhere in this world. You don't have to be afraid. I kind of think this is a really a biker Sunday message because y'all are kind of crazy on those bikes. I mean, no seatbelts, right? You're just right out there. That's faith, amen? I mean, that's, that's trusting. Make your Christian walk the same. Follow Jesus like you ride a bike. Fearless, wide open. I don't care. I, anyone can look at me and can see I'm a follower of the King of Kings. He is my Lord. He is my Christ. Even though I can lose everything, like Paul said, I will gain everything because it's been promised to me. It might not happen now. It might not be today. It will happen someday when Jesus returns. Biblical faith means being courageous in the face of fear. All right, so that's what it looks like. I want to show you now what biblical faith looks for. And I'll, I'm, I'll put these up here quickly, all right? It means we look for the promised city of God. If you look with me again in verse 8, 9, and 10, Abraham leaves his home. In verse 10, he says, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He's looking for a different city. Uh, if you jump down to verse 16, instead they were longing for a better country. 
It's a heavenly country. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a... Are you with me? You see the text? Verse 16, what what has he prepared for them? A city. There's an inheritance for you. And then lastly, it's a future reward and resurrection. In verse 26, uh, it says that Moses is looking ahead to his reward. He, He knows that this has been promised. So he's looking for this. And there's another really, really cool passage. It's in verse 35, and it kind of comes towards the end. If you look with me there, women received back their dead, raised to life once again. Others were tortured. That doesn't sound like a fun day at all, right? Being tortured. But when they were offered release, look what they say. They refused to be released so that they may gain a better resurrection. How cool is that? These Christians who are suffering believe that they are going to be all the more united with Christ when he returns in the resurrection because of their suffering. Because they are looking to something they don't have yet. They're looking to something in the future. So this is where I want us to focus on. Uh, Look with me in verse 13. I have it up here on the screen. And let me read maybe a little bit of... uh, a little of the context here. Verse 13 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Again, how, how very sad that there are so-called Christians today lying to the people of God in that your faith is going to earn for you some type of reward now. How can you you read that? By missing the example that he gives. You, hear me now, you won't receive it now. But you need to live by faith anyways. They were promised it. And they only saw it at a distance. And they welcomed it from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. And so there's an answer to be able to do this, right? So if everybody's tracking with me, we know what biblical faith looks like. It looks costly, risky. It looks like believing even when it's uncomfortable. It looks like obeying. It looks like having courage, right? Everybody with me on that? All right, that's what it looks like. It looks for a country that isn't here and now. I like the UP, amen? Yeah, I, I like it. I like it in the Bahamas too. It's beautiful there. But we have a better country. We have a heavenly country that has been promised to us. That's what we look for. And if you're tracking with these two ideas of, of walking by faith, biblical faith is going to be hard. While we look for something that we don't get yet, you might ask me the question, okay, pastor, how do I do that? How do I walk by faith in a world where this has been promised and the world I live in wants me to Try to get it now. Paul says in the book of Philippians, he'll say, I haven't taken hold of these things yet. And he actually mentions it twice. Just so you know, church, I have not yet laid hold of resurrection, in case some people were confused. It has been promised, but it's not here yet. So how? Say how. How? All right, here's how. Biblical faith looks at Jesus Christ. That is how. Biblical faith looks at Jesus. Jesus Christ. This was in chapter 12. So follow along with me again in chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let's throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and run the race with perseverance. The race that's been marked out for us. Verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of our faith. We, we've got some farmers in our church. Uh, I, I don't drive a tractor, but I drive a lawnmower. <laughs> and one of the things I really like when I'm mowing lawn is a nice straight line. I'm trying to teach my son how to do that, because if you can get your son to mow the lawn, that is a good day. <laughs> but his lines look a little bit like this. And one reason they look like that, and you'll do the same, is that if you're driving the tractor or the lawnmower and you start looking right at all of the pits and the holes and the bumps and the rocks... Everything around you, if you look around you, you're going to be, you're going to be all over the place. But instead, if you lift your eyes and you look to the horizon, if you pick a spot out on the horizon and focus on that, you're going to get a nice, perfectly straight line. You will. That's how you cut a a straight uh, furrow with a tractor as well. You pick a line. You don't look around you. That's what we're saying here. How do you live life by faith? Listen to me now. This is really important. If you look to what you're facing in life and make decisions based off that, You're going to be all over. But if you look to Christ, if you fix your eyes on Christ, you will run a straight path and you will be able to walk by faith in a world that doesn't want you to walk by faith. One other verse, look at verse 3. He says, consider him who endured such opposition. This is a really important word here. This word consider. It's only used one time in the New Testament. And it has a beautiful meaning. I, I frankly feel English doesn't do it justice. It means to carefully examine with calculation into your equation. In fact, the, that Greek word is where we get the English word logarithm from. It's, it's a really analytical type of a, a understanding. Calculate. So when you read in verse 3, consider him. The best translation, this is just my translation, is factor Jesus into your equation for life. Because he says he endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This, this is it, folks. This, this is the, the fullness of the message. Biblical faith looks at Jesus. It doesn't look around. It doesn't see what I'm facing. It looks right at Jesus. And so my questions I want to leave you with this morning are, are what does your faith look like? Biblical faith looks a certain way. Costly and risky and, and belief in discomfort. It's obedient. It's courageous. What's your faith look like? I, I promise you, going to church is not enough. My, I go to church. Who cares? Your faith needs to be lived out. We heard that. Phil read it for us, right? James chapter 2. Some people say, I got faith. He says, I'll show you my faith by the evidence of my life. I live my faith. I don't just go to church on Sunday. Paul, remember, remember the, the list that he put there? All that he went through? If your faith hasn't cost you anything, I, I, I don't know, give it some examination. If you're not willing to take any risks, you're not really walking by faith. If you're only seeking to be comfortable, let me kick my feet up, man, take it easy. You're not living by faith. If you're not obeying God, unless someone's watching you, you're not living by faith. And anytime fear comes knocking, you're like, oh, sorry, I quit. You're not living by faith. So what does your faith look like? Secondly, uh, what do you look for? This is a tough one because we live in a really rich land. We got a lot of really cool stuff. Um, my, 
there's so many things that are on my Amazon wish list. I don't even want to bore you with them, but just so many cool stuff that we can have. Don't wait for that stuff. Don't look for that stuff. Don't make that what we live for. We have to long for a country, that, a city of God that's been promised to us. It's in the future. It's not now. But what are you looking for? And my last question is, who do you look to? Who are you looking to? In Niagara Falls, they have this amazing tradition of this uh, acrobat, Sir Charles uh, Blundeen. And in uh, 1830, or, uh, 1859, uh, 25,000 onlookers showed up at Niagara Falls to watch this maniac walk across the falls on a tightrope. Now, this guy was pretty confident. In fact, he was so confident, he, he took a, a table out there. He took a stove in a wheelbarrow and made an omelet one time. He'd do flips. He'd do handstands blindfolded. He went with baskets on his feet one time. Very, very confident. And one time, he went to the crowd. And on this day, he said, uh, Does anybody believe that I could carry a man on my back across this tightrope on the falls. And the crowd, having seen everything he does, they roar, yes, you can do it. We believe you can do it. And Blondine says, may I see a volunteer? <laughs> and the crowd is <laughs> there's, there's not a sound. They, 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 they kind of realize and it sinks in. He's not joking. He, he, he's going to do it. Well, you, you go, I ain't going. And nobody's going to go. They, they all had belief. They all believed that he could do it. They were impressed with his ability. Look, G- Jesus Christ is more capable than any human who's ever lived. He has conquered death. Do you believe it? Yes. Yeah. He can do anything. And yet there in the crowd, finally, one man took off his top hat. Harry Colcord. He happened to be um, the manager, Blondine's publicist manager right because nobody else was going he was like this is not going well I guess I'll go and sure enough he got on his back and he went across the falls and as he went across um, Blondine started to get a little weary because he's just a man he's not Jesus Christ right he started to get weary eventually made it all the way to the other side of the falls carrying this man on his back Uh, this is what true faith looks like that's faith he, he, put every, he put his entire life in the hands of this one who has the ability. Harry doesn't have the ability. Charles Blondine does. And he put his entire life in his hands. That's what biblical faith looks like. And I don't know where you're at today, but you have to have an answer to these questions. What does your faith look like? What are you looking for? And who are you looking to? My encouragement to you today would simply be this. There is no other name in heaven and earth greater, more, what did we sing this morning? More beautiful, more wonderful, or more powerful than the name of Jesus Christ. He's offered you the free gift of salvation, but you're not going to get it by holding on to the railing, trying to follow Jesus like this. I'm right here. I'm right here, Jesus. I'm just, it's a little scary. You won't get there that way. You have to let go. And you have to put your full trust in Jesus Christ to carry you across the chasm of separation from God. Let's pray.